0: On this week's special polling tripcast, we've got our pollsters to talk about the latest University of Texas Texas Tribune poll, but before we dive in, I'd like to thank this week's sponsors. The Texas Secretary of State. Know what you need to vote. Make sure you're registered and find out what forms of acceptable photo ID you can bring to the booth at VoteTexas.gov or 1-800-252-VOTE. That's brought to you by the office of the Texas Secretary of State. And by Lobby Days. Lobby Days is the only software that automates the process of setting up a Lobby Day at the Capitol. Learn more at lobbydaysmedia.com. Hi, this is Ross Ramsey here on the first day of November with your special pollster version of the Texas Tribune Tripcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. We did our regular one yesterday. We're doing our special one today. I'm joined this week by... Um, Darren Shaw from the University of Texas, Jim Henson from the University of Texas, and Josh Blank from the University of Texas. Uh, there are pollsters. We also field your questions via social media every week, so be sure to send them our way by using the hashtag, hashtag Tribcast. Um, this is the October version of our poll. We've been doing this now, it's hard to believe, for nine years. Um, got a pretty good um, well of polling here. And I want to start at the top with the with the horse races. Um, the, the Senate race looks kinda like it's looked all summer long. Um, can you guys talk about this? It's a six point race, uh, Cruz in front of Beto O'Rourke and some weird movement in the voters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it looks a lot like we thought it would look, you know, sort of theoretically, as it gets closer to the, you know, to election day and actual voting with early voting actually going on now in which, you know, Democrats are lopsidedly for O'Rourke Republicans lopsidedly for Cruz. Um, the, one of the interesting things, really, was that independents in the sample, which were you know, only about eight percent of the likely voter pool, uh, broke slightly for O'Rourke, 51-39. They usually break for Republicans, right? Usually, and they broke for Republicans, you know, up and down the rest of the ballot. So, in a lot of ways, you know, th- this looks
2: about like we expected. I think <laughs> uh, I, I'm maybe a little more surprised than my colleagues, just because I thought this race would open up a little bit. I in, thought as, in, Republi- as Republicans came home over the course of the campaign, the crews would stretch what had been a, I don't know, a three to six point lead to something more like a 10, 11, 12 point, right? Lead. And we haven't really seen that. So, you know, Jim is right. You've seen Republicans coming home, but the short term force in this race still seems to to, to favor O'Rourke. And so he's maintained a lead with independence. He's kind of done better with Democrats than Democratic candidates often do in, right. in Texas races. And so rather than stretch it out, that race has kind of been stubbornly in that, you know, five, six point range. Whereas the other races have opened up a little bit as Republicans have figured out who their candidates are down ballot. Right, um, And then the, the governor's race where, you know, the proportion favoring Abbott is just, you know, the, Number of people who have decided has increased, and Abbott's maintained that proportionate advantage right. over Valdez.
0: Right. You know we've got this 19-point race for governor. Abbott's up 19. Dan Patrick and the lieutenant governor's race is up 18 points over Mike Collier. Um, and in the the AG's race, is a little bit closer, 12 points between Ken Paxton and Justin Nelson. So you got a tight race at the top and big wide gaps. That sort of suggests uh, heretofore unknown phenomenon in Texas known as a swing voter. What is that?
3: Maybe. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's a little bit... I'm I'm still not sure where I come down on this. I mean, I think, you know, going into this set of polling, we were noticing this discrepancy in all the polling, right, where there's this tight gap between Cruz and O'Rourke and this big gap between... Abbott and Valdez, and I think in this late summer, you know, a lot of us were talking about, you know, swing voters, and this must mean that there are Republicans who are gonna vote for Abbott, but maybe not for Cruz. But then you look at the polling results, and 93% of Republicans say they're gonna vote for Cruz, 95% of Republicans say they're gonna vote for Abbott. And I'm wondering, and I don't know what you guys think, and it's some mixture of both, if we weren't looking to some degree in the wrong direction. Because one of the things we also found in this poll, that there's still about a third of Democrats, and even Democratic likely voters, who don't really have an opinion about Lupe Valdez, and you know, where we have 94% of Democrats saying they're going to vote for O'Rourke, we have 82% saying they're going to vote for Valdez. Now, I'm not saying that they're all going to go and, and vote for Abbott, but we may have actually been looking at the wrong side, and I'm not really sure which Obviously, it's a combination of both, right? Right, right? But I'm actually not sure it's not more Democrats just sort of being completely unfamiliar with the rest of the ticket, you know, since O'Rourke has sucked up all the oxygen. Democrats
2: yeah that that might be except it, the other races look so familiar right to us you know they, they look exactly like races in Texas have looked since 1994 at the statewide level right. anyway and so we're we look at those races we go oh, you know yet another year in which we've you know been waiting for Godot right the right you know, the sleeping giant Hispanic vote to awaken and Texas moving blue uh, you know, but there's this one outlier race, and so I, Josh is right. It's you know the explanation for that race is is kind of up in the air right now. But uh, to me, it, you know, I study candidates and and campaign effects. That's kind of the core of my research, and I, I can't help but look at these races uh, on the Democratic side and, and say what this shows is a candidate effect. You know, where you have a, uh, holding the Republicans constant. So you've which may got not the norm, right? Yeah, you got the norm, and then you've got you know the obvious, and maybe it's unfair, but the Valdez-O'Rourke comparison, Right. you know, an energetic, charismatic Democratic candidate who's well-financed and is out there doing his stuff versus a candidate who's been, you know, what would be the phrase? somnolent? <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they don't, oh, Josh is right. You are that, from college. Oh, that yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you much, tower a word. Yeah. Like $2 <laughs> for that word. But, but you're right. Democrats don't know who, they barely know who she is. Um, and maybe they're, you know, maybe with O'Rourke on the on the ticket, this is, of course, the, the dream of the Democrats, right, that right. that he has coattails. Um, well, so the question maybe. is,
3: and so the, what I'm kind of wondering is we've got this, and then we've got what's going to happen on Election Day, and I'm wondering is, you know, what is the mean that these results are going to regress to, right? I mean, in some ways, right. what I kind of wonder is does, I wouldn't be surprised if the six-point gap grows a little bit on Election Day, yeah, you know, either. potentially just because of historical, you know, trends and kind of standards, which mean, you know, we end up seeing Cruz perform better than we're seeing in the polls, and he kind of moves more towards the Abbott number. But the other side of it would to say, you know, maybe Democrats show up to vote for O'Rourke, hit that straight ticket option, which is going out the door, and actually those numbers kind of move towards each other a little bit.
1: Because if you're looking for a mean for it to regress about, one thing that we haven't talked about much, either in the coverage or in the conversations, is look at the, at the generic congressional trial ballot,
0: where you, right. you know,
1: Sloppily put you can control a little for candidate
0: effects and this right? question is where you say if there was a Democrat and a Republican Who'd you vote for
1: yeah? 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 Who'd you vote for your member of Congress no tomorrow? names on it? or right, right exactly and that's 40 That's uh, 46 54 so it's an eight-point gap for the Republican in favor of Republicans that looks like Texas should look in contrast to the rest of the country Right, in terms of being almost like the opposite of what we're seeing
3: nationally. At least in a presidential Ballpark. year. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, what yeah. strikes me about that number is we're getting sort of to where the nine-point gap was between Trump and Clinton in the presidential right, year. Right, exactly. And, and turnout right now is kind of looking
1: like a lot maybe, more like a presidential year. You know, I mean, I, I, I think that still maybe points we'll see. to... We'll see, yeah. yeah we'll I, see. Mean, I mean, that still kind of points towards you know <laughs> towards Darren's we'll see kind yeah, of, right. you know, in that it may be a little over that, and I you know nobody should be surprised by that. But I think it's not a bad answer to your question rather than looking at the candidate races. And, I, you know, one more thing on this before we go on, Ross. I think that, you know, Darren was talking about the dreams of Democrats. And, you know, Josh and I, we've all joked about how our role this election cycle in talking to reporters has been to be professional wet blankets. <laughs> but I think part of that is also that there's a little, you know, the expectations are so out of whack in terms right. of what should be a sign of democratic success and underlying shifts in the in the electorate. I mean, if that's probably gonna happen. I think it's crazy, frankly, to think that, that Texas is ever gonna turn blue, per se. I don't think it's crazy, t- and I think it's actually probably a little bit more in the realm of inevitability to think about Texas becoming a more competitive state somewhere, probably not, this cycle, but I mean, in, I mean, in some ways, if you want to be really literal about it, we're already seeing it this cycle. So even so, if work loses by single digits or even ten, it's going to be a crushing defeat in the psyche of many people. But depending on what happens in the interim going forward, I mean, it could be moving towards the more realistic outcome, which is. Not that Texas becomes California, but that maybe Texas looks more like Florida.
3: And competitiveness, and competitiveness is going to start down the ballot. Yeah. I mean, well, we already
2: see you already congressional
1: right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's already yeah. happening. It's just that I, I think often democratic expectations are driven, particularly in the election cycle, by campaign consultants right. and partisans, and they're often
0: unrealistic. Let me throw in a question we got from Facebook. When you say likely voters, do you count young voters between the ages of 18 and 35? In, w- in what way are those likely voters? I mean, it's an interesting question.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, yes. it's yeah, from a polling perspective, <laughs> you, you know, you have a vote. Yes, history, but not all of them. Right. <laughs> the, the, the Trib poll uh, is, is run by YouGov. Um, you know, so these are registered voters and uh, for registered voters, it's fairly easy to get a vote history. So right. I, can, I can, you know, discern whether, you know, Jim Henson or Ross Ramsey has voted in X number of past elections. Right. And, and that's, a, that's information that we take into account. When it comes to young voters, you don't have the, you know, luxury of that history, and so we essentially take their self-expressed attitudes seriously. So when they say, "I'm interested," and I am uh, ten out of ten likely to vote, yeah, they're considered likely voters. And in this election, I mean, Josh knows this better than I do, but um, you know, what happens? Well, (laughs) what happens (laughs) is younger voters. Younger voters are quite likely to express a willingness to vote, but. But there is a rising tides phenomenon, which is in a hot election, everybody is more likely to say they're gonna right. vote. So the proportion of younger voters doesn't necessarily rise. Uh, you know, so you can have a relatively high turnout electorate with respect to young voters, but they don't act, that, that voice is not necessarily more, because the more likely to be because they're swamped by the... Right. You know, their share the, of
3: the electorate doesn't actually change, even though their turnout might actually go up significantly.
2: Right, I do think that, you know, one bit of hype you always hear is, "Oh, all these young voters are going to vote." Right. You know, since two thousand eight, and in two thousand eight they did, of course, not as much as everybody else, right. but they did show up. I, I think they will, relative to past midterm elections in Texas. This is a this is a hot election, and competitiveness does drive, you know, turnout in some
0: right. respects. So right, people like a fight. Yeah. Um, so while we're talking about this, the other thing I noticed in this poll that was you know really evident was the Republicans coming home to Donald Trump. Um, the ones, you know, they were largely there in our last poll in June. There was some separation, um, I guess that fits because of the family separation issue that was kind of salient at the time. There were some Republican women who were drifting, uh, but they all came home. And so the Republicans come home. They don't necessarily come home to Cruz. They did come home to Trump. Talk about Trump's numbers and we'll go from there. Well, I, I think even, I, I, go, I, would, I mean, yeah. I, would,
3: I would just, I would challenge the premise a little bit yeah, just right. to say uh, that, oh, I mean, come on. I just a little bit. And the Ross pre- is so nice. No, I know. I, mean, I was I, going I to be more gentle I just not you I mean, No, no, no. I could have well, said, let, this let, is more Josh. civil than he usually I usually is. Could have, <laughs> I could have said, no, no, fake news. Hold on. No, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not sure that there was separation in the last poll in June so much as, you know, we were right in the field in the midst of the child separation right, crisis. Right. We asked about that question. I mean, we asked that question about the issue, and we saw, you know, some, discre- you know, there was not a unified block of Republican opinion. I mean, right. there was it was sort of unsure, but it was also a very new issue that people were dealing with. You know, Donald Trump, elite, you know, Republican elites in Congress were kind of trying to figure out how they were going to handle it. Right. And then they actually pulled, they actually you know ended the policy you know more or less, right when we basically started reporting those results. And so, you know, I don't know if they were necessarily moving away. I think they were trying to figure out how to navigate that issue and looking for cues from elites that weren't really there. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, what seems to have happened at least is, you know, that, you know the issue at least of immigration, we'll talk about that later, has really become one that I think Democrats have, have really tried to stay away from this election cycle, whereas Republicans know that this is a motivating issue from their base. In this poll, uh, I think 62% of Republican said that immigration or border security was the most important problem facing the state of Texas. Right. And that's pretty consistent, but, I mean, in this poll, we've seen a, a pretty big uptick in terms of, you know, prohibitive immigration attitudes in general. And so I think, you know, as we moved along, it's not so much, you know, Republicans and Republican women coming home. I think it's partially just, you know, one, elites getting their messaging together so that, right. you know, I think Republicans know which cues to follow. But two, it's also a campaign season. I mean, this is what you expect to see. You expect you expect to see the partisans uh, become more partisan, become reminded of their partisanship perpetually. And I think, you know, that's not necessarily a, pat- a particular feature of this moment so much as, any campaign
1: moment. Yeah, and I thought he was going to challenge your premise more frontally, so I'll do that, oh, which good. is that <laughs> oh, actually and I'm the, and Trump's I'm the numbers one. were actually on uh, the increase through that. Right. So if you go back and you look at his, among Republicans, which is what you were talking about, Republicans coming home. Right. You know, re- Republican positive job approval for Trump goes from basically you know October October 2017, 79. February the following year 83 and then it goes up to 88 and it stayed at 88 this time so a there weren't very many people not home and B rather than them going away during those difficulties their support actually was strengthened right even even in the face of You know however you want to explain it, you know the fact that you know separating kids at the border was kind of you know Grasping defeat from the draws of victory when it comes to the immigration issue for Republicans, right? And that's why I think we're seeing a different tact now, which is Don't
0: let them come into the country to begin with so we don't have to deal with this policy, right? Right so talk about the Trump attitudes in general people uh, Republicans in Texas are pretty solidly behind him on his attributes uh, On his policies it was almost a question, you know, it almost looked in the poll like you could Ask anything about what Trump's doing, and if you knew the party of the person doing the answer, you knew the answer.
1: Yeah, I think we could ask about how he handles umbrellas and how he dresses, and there'd be partisan structure.
0: Yeah, I, I think you see
2: some variation across. So we asked uh, uh, we asked how Trump was handling a set of issues, and we also asked um, you know for evaluations of Trump's uh, temperament and right. you know knowledge and things like that, which we've been doing for a while. We like to get fresh data to. Uh, you know, to kind of see if people are moving very much. So your general premise is absolutely right, which is it's it's polarized. There is a little bit of interesting variation by issue and by trait. And I, I think what's what's worth looking at is the extent to which that conforms with reality, right? So Trump Trump does better on issues, you know, where, we, issues and traits that we think he's a little better on. So he does better on strong leader than he does on, you know, say honesty, right? Um, and and you know. That should be the case. So it's, while it is the case that attitudes have polarized, they're not completely detached from some sort of realism with right. respect to his relative strengths and weaknesses, both in issue and trade
0: terms. There's a little bit of yes, but. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> but that's not to say the fundamental observation isn't right, which is people basically made up their minds about Trump. Some are on board, some aren't. Whether you are or aren't is almost entirely you know, bound up with your partisanship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I kind of like looking at the at the honesty numbers over time and the strong leadership numbers and, and to the extent they move a little bit from poll to poll, that suggests that um, you know whatever uptick or downtick is going on is kind of rooted in you know oh well, you know there's a little bit of a question about corruption and so his honesty numbers go down or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you haven't seen much because as Josh pointed out, it's a campaign season and everything just gets so overwhelmed by, you know, my side versus the other side. Right. And For Republicans, Trump's on their side, even if they got some reservations. The main right.
3: point is, even those upticks and downticks are really just around the edges. True. Right. I mean, in the main, they they've stayed remarkably consistent. And part of it, I think, is you know, there's sort of a. I think you know, an error that a lot of people make in assuming that somehow you know the next thing that Donald Trump does is going to be when the bottom falls out, at least on one of these traits or in one of these issue areas or or whatever. And there's just no evidence in
2: any of the polling we've done
3: throughout the first years of his presidency that that is the case.
2: One, one thing I'd, I'd mention, we've talked about this internally a lot, and it's, it's kind of a, the residue of polling in Texas. I've been pushing this in some of the national polls I've been doing. Voters see a distinction between border security and immigration. right? And, and, and Because they are slightly different things. They're bound up with each other, and Republicans tend to do better with voters if the issue is border security. And Democrats tend to do better if it's about, you know, what do we do with 11 million? Is it just in Texas, people? or is that also national? It's true nationally. Okay. And and one of the things that's interesting is, you know, as everything is kind of coming down to the wire and and voters are going home to their parties, Trump, you can see, is desperately trying to, you know, take advantage of or to to make political hay out of the the migrant caravan that's coming right. up. And of course, that's an immigration issue. But that's a border security issue and well, Trump's as he's, Trump as he's senses trying to frame it right? that, yeah. yeah yeah he senses that that's a border and he wants to make it a border security issue right uh while democrats the democratic dilemma is really interesting which is you know do you fight him and say no it's an immigration issue or do you simply say i want to talk about health care And i think they're choosing the latter strategy which i think is probably
0: the right strategy right right before we continue i'd like to thank two more tripcast sponsors bills up now is a Legislative tracking service that allows anyone to stay up to date on the issues that matter most without sacrificing their schedules. Schedule a demo today at BillsUpNow.com. And the Texas Fast Growth School Coalition. The Texas Fast Growth School Coalition has 70.5 billion reasons to invest in fast-growing school districts. Find out why at fgsc.memberclicks.net. We had a lot of issue stuff in the poll, and I want to start with the Me Too section of this. We talked about the Kavanaugh nomination and confirmation. We talked about the issues that came up there. We asked people what they thought of Me Too. Walk me through this, of the, this section of the poll.
3: Sure, well, I mean, one of the, you know, the first things we want to ask about what, you know, was the Kavanaugh confirmation, and, and we did this in a pretty light way, I would say, which is we basically asked people whether they have favorable or unfavorable opinions of Kavanaugh, And then secondarily, if they, you know, if you were in the Senate, would you have voted to confirm uh, Justice Kavanaugh or not? And the main thing to sort of take away from this besides, well, I'll just say the main thing to take away from this is that partisanship, not gender, is what was driving views of, what is driving views towards Kavanaugh, the confirmation process in general. Overwhelmingly positive views of Kavanaugh amongst Republicans, Republican men, Republican women, indistinguishable. Uh, again, same thing with respect to you know, supporting the confirmation and the opposite views amongst Democrats. So, I mean, one thing just to sort of dispel you know, with quickly is the notion that somehow Kavanaugh would have driven a wedge between Republican men and women. That's right. just not. Didn't the, happen. Did not happen. And in fact, there's actually some sort of second order consequences to all this, which is that, you know, what we found is that, you know, we've asked sort of questions we've asked before about the Me Too movement, about the. The attention to sexual assault and, and harassment, and whether it's sort of you know likely to lead to the improvement of lives of women, or whether it's leading to the unfair treatment of men, and what we found was that you know, sort of in the wake of the Kavanaugh hearings, so we've asked these questions before, that actually you know um, partisan attitudes towards the movement and its goals uh, sort of strengthen. So what you did see is, last time we did this in February was some daylight between Republican men and women towards the Me Too movement, with Republican men be mostly negative and be mostly negative about its goals. Republican women were a little bit more split on this issue. Now it's indistinguishable. And so now partisanship is driving attitudes towards sort of the discussion about gender equality in a way that's, you know, in some ways kind of surprising.
0: Yeah. Anything to add there? That, oh, it's a pretty good bullet. <laughs> um, Tell me what else you guys saw in this poll, and uh, you know the, there was there were a bunch of issue questions, and there are a lot of things in the crosstabs that you guys catch that the rest of us don't catch. Did something stick out to you? And, and whoever wants to jump in first.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, I think we Josh just did a good job of summarizing the thing about the Me Too women, the right. Me Too movement, women. I think one of that was the most hovering over this poll question for me was you know, where were Republican women gonna be as we got closer to the election? You know, I think there's, there's some things that, part of it are dogs that didn't bark. Um, you know, we asked about whether people were feeling the difference in the, ta- in the tax from the Trump tax cut. And you know, going into this election, I think in the spring and summer, people were like, you gotta run on that tax cut, you gotta run on that tax cut. That tax cut has not shown up this election. And the polling kinda illustrated that we asked people, are you noticing a difference in your paycheck? Pretty big majority said no. Only a you know this is one of those areas where partisanship mattered, but even partisanship, partisanship didn't make people inflate the number yeah, in their only, wallet. Only only fifty percent of much.
0: Republicans, if I remember right, yeah, said that. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah I felt it. Exactly you know, they were sort right. of like so trying to give a throw a bone to the administration. Yeah. But, but yeah. Paul
2: Paul Ryan is keeps banging this drum, and, and and while Trump has moved on to migrant caravans, and at right. some level you go, maybe Trump's instincts are better in mean, purely political terms than Ryan's right. are. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's something. I mean. I think that's
1: right. I think that's, yeah. Right. Think that, yeah that's I mean, absolutely that's true. right. <laughs> I
3: think, I agree. I <laughs> or mean, his, you, know, sure. his, you said maybe, but I'll say yes. His
1: political instincts are better, but also so is his will. You know, I mean, look, this is part of, you know, you want to disappear into the black hole of Trump's personality and tactics necessarily. But Trump's willingness to, to take the basic insight that has been common sense, certainly in Republican politics in this state, and, and I think Darren made a great point that you know, separating border security and immigration is a winner for Republicans. And I think one of the early people that really saw that was Rick Perry in Texas. Really exploited it, did a really good job with it. And did a great job, and and he exploited it, but it was also, you know, I mean, you don't use this word Rick Perry a lot, but it was deft, Mm -hmm. right? In the sense that there was a subtlety there that I think was not obvious to everybody and that now everybody looks at. Trump has taken that though and raised it to a magnitude with the caravan in a way that's not just political instinct, but also a willingness to dispense with the niceties. I mean,
3: I wonder. You know, I mean, not to get away from this, but I mean, just something I think about this. is, I wonder how how long this will last as a as an issue. And I don't mean how long it'll last as an issue, but how the utility of it going forward. Because right. in some sense, you know, he's already turned it to eleven going into twenty eighteen. <laughs> right. I mean, we're about to have, you know, a contingent of fifteen thousand, right. you know, troops on the border in Texas. #Hashtag Jade Helm, and. <laughs> But, you know, I just think, you know, so are we going to be at this level, this fever pitch for another two years? And then is it still going to have, you know, the salience that the issue has in 2020? I think so. I mean, I just, you know, having looked at these numbers for so long, I think so. But assuming that this is sort of the greatest hit of, you know, the Trump era, what happens in 2020? This is
0: a little bit of a blind question, but how long have border security and immigration been the top two? issues for most important problems facing the state in our poll. I mean, this has been years now yeah, since, I mean, I, I since believe, at least the great recession, right? I believe
1: basically in every poll except for the heart of the great recession when the economy, economy got up
0: a, a little bit. economy trumped it for but a minute. It, yeah,
2: even at that point, the combined We're mentions, still competitive. the combined mentions for jobs and employment and the economy, which we, we sort of lumped together Right. Uh, compared to border security immigration, which we'll lump together. There was never that much difference, even as, you know the bottom was falling out of the economy, which which yeah. stunned us. It was right, one right. of one of the first, uh, I, I guess, it's two thousand eight and late into two thousand eight and two thousand nine. We were we were very surprised by that. We're not surprised anymore that it's about the you know persistence of that issue. Yeah, I think um, I think I'll be surprised when it stops. Yeah, I'll go on on quick quick sort of observations. Uh, Josh mentioned women. One thing I I think you'll if you look into the numbers, the uncertainty expressed with respect to the Me Too movement amongst women is higher than men. That is to say uh the don't knows or you know the, the women are
0: men were ju- a little more emphatic
2: or? <sighs> and, men, and boy this is something you see constantly men are always more certain in their <laughs> attitudes than women I may not um, be right but i'm not right. know yeah, about exactly that. <laughs> um and, and so you you see uh, I, I think it's uh, rarely uh, right seldom yeah, yeah tw- uh, 20 to 30 percent of women democratic right. and republican women so democratic women are are more they're not ambivalent but they're more than men and same with Republican women. So that uncertainty always catches me with respect to women and men. Suburban women, uh, Southern suburban, th- th- this has always been a strategy of Beto's, Beto O'Rourke, that you know, if I can just peel off some of these suburban Republican women, right. I-, I, can, I can be competitive. And I-, I think a lot of us who've looked at the national data understand that, that that is a strategy that actually is probably working in the North. It doesn't work in the South nearly as well. And huh. I think you're seeing that in Texas. I think you see it in the Tennessee Senate race. Right. Southern suburban women aren't like northern southern suburban women. Northern uh, suburban northern women. Northern yeah. suburban right. women, right. Right. That, right. There's a regional divide. Huh. Um, and and I, I think you see that in, it'll be interesting, the race I'm interested in, uh, this is a sleeper race we were talking about yesterday, is the Georgia um, Senate or governor's race. Right. And it'll be interesting to me to see how well the Democrats are at getting some of those suburban women in Atlanta, Atlanta and lit. the Collar Counties. Um, and then uh, young people. Um, we generally think, going back to your first time voter question, right. that young people tend to pick up on the latest wind, that they reflect whatever is going on in the electorate writ large. Um, in a state that's you know, 15 points Republican, for younger people to be you know, 10, 15, 20 points in the other direction right. is somewhat surprising. I mean, it, I just gave you my own explanation, right? Which is right. They're, they're feeling the political wind, which is largely pro-O'Rourke. But it's still striking. Um, we expect them to look a lot like the rest of the electorate um, because they're less anchored. They haven't been around as long. You know, they're more likely to be blown by whatever the prevailing political wind is. Right. And yet this is, uh, for about 10 years now, they keep coming in with distinct preferences, which is unusual given you know, their inexperience and, and the fact we'd expect them to kind of mirror whatever attitudes are out there generally. Yeah. And we don't see that much here. And it's, it's maybe, maybe an enduring feature of kind of the current political alignment yeah.
0: Quickly, you got a shiny object or two here?
3: I'll try to do it as oh, quickly. Okay. I'll try to do it. <laughs> so, I mean, two quick things just to put some meat on the bones of what these guys said a little bit, which is, you know, we asked this question twice about, uh, you know, sort of the recent tension to sexual assault and is it leading to the unfair treatment of men, right. which was sort of the part of the, re- the message. I mean, I think Don Jr. went out and said, it's a scary time to be a young man in America. During More scared race, is, right? You know. Right. And what we found was, when we asked that question in February, 48% of Republican women agreed with it. 40% of Republican women disagreed with it. Right. In this poll, it was up to 77%. So it increased 29 points. That's a, a, just a huge shift in sentiment that you know you just rarely see, even if we're doing these polls three times a year. I mean, it just stands out to you in mm-hmm. an amazing way. Something else, you know, with respect to the gender uh, issues and, and young and older voters. We asked about the amount of discrimination that men face in uh, in America today, and what was interesting was is the age differences in that. So whereas voters between, you know, basically below the age of 44, their attitudes did not change over this period that that we've asked these questions. Uh, But amongst voters over the age of 44, the share of voters who said that the, uh, that basically discrimination is a problem for men in America increased substantially in between, you know, with the Kavanaugh hearing in between. And the last thing I'll say, is, you know, with respect to immigration that was also interesting was, you know, without fail, when we ask any question about sort of immigration policy, you can find about 60 to 70% of Texas Republicans agreeing with whatever, you know, the potential policy is going to be in terms of, you know, prohibitive policies, you know, border wall, immediately deporting people, whatever. All this talk, I think, about you know, the migrant caravan and, again, I think Democrats seeding the field has actually led to an increase in what we kind of almost thought was the ceiling of those numbers of about 10 points among Republicans. So that these attitudes that we already think of as being pretty prohibitionist and pretty restrictive as is in Texas actually got more so in wow. this period. Okay.
0: Okay. Great. Um, there's a lot more about the poll on uh, two websites, our website, texastribune.org, you can look at all the stories, the full summary, the crosstabs, methodology, all of that. And on the Texas Politics Project over, that the Jim and Josh run over at Texas UT. TexasPoliticsUtexas.edu. <clears throat> yeah, and they, they've done a really great job of sort of taking all nine years of our polls and making, you know, trying to make some sense of it. So uh, thanks for the time. Uh, thanks to the Texas Secretary of State, Lobby Days, Bills Up Now, and the Texas Fast Growth School Coalition, our sponsors this week. Special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Josh, Darren, Jim, and our producers, Michael Ray and Bobby, I'm Ross. Thanks for listening.